he's about to pull off one of the great daily doubles in racing history, calling the action from Saratoga and now from Del Mar. At least for this summer, we'll talk with Larry Colmus. Plus, come August 1st, the rules regarding jockeys using the whip will grow stricter in Maryland. Is that a harbinger for the Mid-Atlantic and maybe the rest of the country? We'll have all that and more on this edition of In The Gate. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Boys or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Boys. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And while you're homebound these days, maybe fire off a comment to the astrophysicists at America's Best Racing so they include us in their Fan Choice Awards this year for Best Podcast. That would salvage one good thing for 2020. In the first 84 years of racing at Del Mar in San Diego, the track has had just three regular track announcers. And for the last 36 years, since 1984, that man, of course, has been Trevor Denman. They've got a quarter of a mile to go, and Catalina Cruiser, Drayton Van Tyke takes a confident look back. He sees Battle of Midway is still in the contest. They're at the top of the lane now. Catalina Cruiser still just being pushed along by Drayton Van Dyke. Battle of Midway trying hard to make a race of it, but Catalina Cruiser, really just a workout for him today, striding away, magnificent looking individual too, Catalina Cruiser and Drayton Van Dyke absolutely cruise in the Pat O'Brien. But Trevor Denman will not be at the mic as the Del Mar summer season gets underway this year. His wife and he are not comfortable traveling from their Minnesota dairy farm, where they spend most of the year, to SoCal because of COVID-19. The 67-year-old Denman insists he'll be back at Del Mar for their November season. So for now, how do you replace a treasure like Trevor Denman? Not easily, but Del Mar found a pretty good pinch hitter. American Foul has won the Triple Crown! Arrowgate, what a commanding performance! He won the Travers by 12! He's just perfect, and now he's just... That, of course, is the voice of Larry Colmus, who just happened to be available to fill in at Del Mar this summer when not working for network television. And he just so happens to be available to spend a few minutes with us here on In the Gate. From your standpoint, how did this opportunity come to be? Well, uh, what happened was, Barry, I, I got a uh, call from someone who uh, was representing Del Mar, who was actually a, a friend of mine, and said, hey, I... I'm hearing that Trevor is not going to be calling this meet coming up. And, uh, you know, when, when, uh, I found that out and I, I contacted Delmar right away and said, Hey, you know, I am available and interested. And then we made things work out. So it was, it was great. I'm really looking forward to it. When you consider how few track announcers Delmar has had and the rich history of that track, what does it mean to you to spend an entire meet there? 
It's pretty amazing. I knew that uh, Trevor and, and Harry Henson had had the last uh, 50 years or so wrapped up, but only uh, Joe Hernandez was before them. And, and then I, I think there might have been one guy that I was told that worked one day back when the place first opened and, and was replaced the next day. But uh, it, it's a thrill to be involved in that. I mean, to, to follow all the people I did in New York, uh, and now I get to do that, at least for one meet at Del Mar, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, Trevor's been there for three decades you know, complete legend in, in the sport and, and Harry Henson, uh, another one before him. So it, it's, it's really cool. You spent two memorable days working at Del Mar in 2017, the Breeders' Cup, the year Gunrunner won the Classic. I'm guessing you don't need binoculars quite as powerful as the ones you need at massive Belmont Park in New York. What do you remember about what it's like to call races at Del Mar? Uh, it's uh, pretty good sight lines at Del Mar. Of course, where I called from was not the regular announcer's booth. Trevor was calling the Breeders' Cup from the announcer's booth. And I was in a, a makeshift booth out on the roof just to the left of him, which was open air and then really nice. But the views there are really, really good. Uh, I took a look from the announcer's booth there, and there's very little in the way, which is the, the complete opposite of Saratoga, where basically everything is in the way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's a mile track, and uh, I haven't called too many races recently on, on mile tracks on a regular basis, not since I called it Churchill back in 2014. Everything else has been bigger. So it should be fun and, and also not too difficult uh, as far as seeing the action compared to some of the Naira tracks. This is at least the 13th track at which you've worked, at least four of which don't exist anymore. What kinds of quirks do you try to find at each place to make it easier to spot the horses and call the races? Well, with the the case of Del Mar, there really isn't too much quirk-wise. It's a pretty straightforward mile track with a seven furlong shoot, you know, on the back stretch, and then the shoot coming at you uh, on the turf course. But the better question is the next place I'm going to be calling Kentucky Downs, which is one of those places that is really quirky. And uh, I'm going to be while I'm calling Del Mar, watching uh, a lot of videos from Kentucky Downs to get to get a an idea of what that's going to be like because. Uh, I understand that that is uh, one of the more difficult places to uh, call races. And luckily for me, I'll be splitting the meet with Michael Rona, who did it last year. I'll uh, ask him some some advice on uh, what, what I should be looking for when I'm calling at Kentucky Downs. You should be watching races from the Cora to try to figure that out. It's a very European-style course. It's, it's different. It's different, for sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. And, uh, but Del Mar is, is pretty straightforward. We're talking with track announcer Larry Colmas, who, in addition to calling races for NBC, will be spending this summer filling in for Trevor Denman at Del Mar. Now, you know that in sports, it's hard to be the guy who follows the guy. Phil Bankston didn't do so well coaching the Packers after Vince Lombardi left, you know. Does that sort of thing creep into your mind at all, trying to follow Trevor Denman? Well, I follow Tom Durkin. So I've got some experience. (laughs) You you, You go from the East Coast number one guy following him to the West Coast, number one guy following him. It's a little different with Trevor in that, you know, he's just taking this meet off and his plan is to come back for the fall, which makes it a little bit easier for me. It's not like, oh, this is the guy that, you know, is following Trevor Denman as the new voice of Del Mar. But the thing with Trevor is we're so different. You know, our style of calling races, obviously, he's got his uh, South African accent and 
and I'm from uh, Maryland, so there's a little bit of difference there. And Trevor and I have known each other for many, many years. We worked together at the Golden Gate Fields back in 1988, and I learned a lot from him when I was calling out there. And then I learned a lot from Durkin when I was calling on the East Coast. So it's great to have even been uh, able to, to follow these legends. See, now, if Del Mar had taken Frank Miramati, he could have just called all the races as Trevor Denman, and no one would have known the difference, because his impressions are just impeccable. Well, yeah, for, you know, we that that is true, and, and I uh, I don't let too many people know about this, but I can do a few uh, impressions myself. I I just, in fact, I used to do them on the mic uh, years and years ago, but I, I don't do them as much anymore, and, and Frank tells the story of being at Los Alamitos one night when I was calling the Orange County Fair, and I paged for Trevor Denman to contact the announcer's booth and then called an entire race as Trevor. And Frank said that it was, it was actually so good that there was one word that I said that was not Trevor like, and that was his tip off that it really wasn't Trevor. So I can do that a little bit too. I just don't do it much anymore. I won't embarrass you by making you try to do that here. Which races won't you be calling at Del Mar because you'll be calling races for NBC? The last week, actually, I'll miss. I'll, I'll be at Del Mar all the way through August the 30th. And then the last uh, four days of the meet, I will be gone to call a little race called the Kentucky Derby. So they, they understood that I had a, an obligation to, uh, to call the Derby on uh, the first Saturday in September, which just sounds so weird. But I'll be out there doing that and also calling the start of Kentucky Downs, which is on Labor Day. And uh, while I'm in Kentucky in September, I also worked the uh, the Facebook Tipton sales, which I uh, made my debut working for them uh, just a couple of weeks ago down in Maryland. So uh, they're going to keep me busy over the next few months. Wow. Can you speak as fast as an auctioneer? No need to. The auctioneer does his auctioneer thing and that you lead up to him by introducing the horses as they walk into the ring and talking about their pedigree and, and why you should be bidding and trying to buy this horse and and as soon as you're done that, the auctioneer just starts the bidding. And uh, you sit right next to him, and and it's a lot of fun. You'll have time to learn all the words to Bing Crosby's Where the Surf Meets the Turf, because it's played before the first and last race every day at the meet. So, Larry Colmas, thank you so much. Safe travel. Best of luck at Old Del Mar. Looking forward to it. Thanks for uh, having me on. The rules for using the whip are tightening in Maryland very soon, and it may become a trend. We'll get into that when the In The Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to In The Gate. Six strikes and you're out. No, this is not some crazy new rule Major League Baseball is implementing in its truncated season that might begin sometime before the winter solstice. Baseball is actually implementing one crazy new rule, automatically putting a runner on second base to start each half inning in extra innings. But no, six strikes and you're out refers to a rider's use of the whip in Maryland starting on August 1st. From the quarter pole to the finish, a jockey will be limited to six strikes, either overhanded or underhanded. Only two of those strikes can come in rapid succession before giving the horse a chance to respond. Before this new rule, there has not been a limit as long as the strikes are done underhanded, which is considered less harmful to the horse. There has certainly been a push across the country and around the world to limit and possibly eliminate entirely the use of the riding crop. In California, 
The sport's governing body set a maximum of six strikes total during a race, and all must be underhanded. The rule in Maryland would also prohibit whips completely during morning training. On a previous In The Gate podcast, we reported on what was called a hands-and-heels race in South Africa, where riders were prohibited from using their whips entirely. So you get the idea. The new rule for Maryland was first suggested back in May and might soon apply to all the tracks in the Mid-Atlantic. Of course, the racing commissions in each of those states would have to approve the new rule. What does this mean for how riders run races and the way fans and bettors perceive the races? We've got a couple of viewpoints on this topic to share with you. The first comes from Duncan Patterson, chairman of the Delaware Racing Commission. He joins us for the first time here on In The Gate. What did you think when you saw the racing commission of a neighboring state, Maryland, adopt this change in the whip rule? Well, we've been in in close contact regarding... uh, the modification of the use of the uh, crop, and um, in January, Maryland passed a a uh, rule regarding uh, limiting the strikes to ten strikes. And in talking to Mike Hopkins, because we have so many jockeys that ride in both Maryland and Delaware, we wanted to be consistent. So when we opened up, and currently right now, we have a ten strike limit the same as Maryland. And in August 1st, we plan to adopt the uh, same rule that Maryland has adopted and which has been approved by uh, all the mid-Atlantic jurisdictions. Oh, we know this, that that it's been adopted in, say, Virginia, and what about New Jersey? I can't speak to New Jersey, although on one call that we had, Dennis Drazen said that whatever you all do, we will adopt. We'll see whether that happens or not. Virginia, the executive director of Virginia, said that they would adopt this new rule. West Virginia has a problem because everything has to go through the legislature and takes an extended period of time, like 18 months, to get anything approved. Doesn't everything have to go through a state legislature? Like Dennis Drazen can't just say that. It has to be legislated, doesn't it? No, not necessarily. We can make a rule. The commission can instruct our uh, stewards to adopt uh, a certain protocol regarding the use of the crop. And with with other things that we've done, it can be a house rule if it's not necessarily commission-oriented, or it can just be the commission stating to the, the um, in the, at least in Delaware, we can do this. I can't speak for other, other states. But I think that Virginia can um, uh, modify their crop rule very uh, expediently. How aware are you of a push across the country and around the world, for that matter, to limit and or completely eliminate the use of the riding crop during races? Well, this has been going on for a while. I, 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 I agree. Actually, I rode as an amateur steeplechase jockey for 20 years. And uh, I will tell you that personally, I would not want to uh, ride in a race without a crop. But it should be limited. Nothing makes me angrier than to see a horse that's tailed off and the rider beating on it when it's obviously out of contention. By the same token, if a horse is up six or more lengths and uh, within a 16th of the pole, I don't like seeing them uh, beating on that horse unnecessarily. I mean, the horse has already demonstrated that uh, it was the best horse in the race on its own. For its part, the Stronach Group 
which operates the two major tracks in Maryland, Laurel and Pimlico, not Delaware, does not support this new rule. They want uniformity on the issue amongst all states, and at the very least you mentioned West Virginia. I mean, the proposed rules are all different from each other. Do you see a day where the Association of Racing Commissioners International, the ARCI, comes up with a new recommendation for state racing commissions to consider? Well, we are in the process of uh, considering a rule which actually uh, mirrors the uh, rule that came out of the uh, out of Kentucky, except for the fact that uh, it provides use of the whip or the crop underhanded for the first eighth of a mile. The mid-Atlantic region provides for the use of the underhanded until the quarter pole and then use of overhand from the quarter pole in with a limit of six strikes. As you probably know, it's been very difficult to get uniformity through the country, although I was, I'm was i a past chairman of the ARCI, and actually I became chairman when the National Uniform Medication Program was first introduced. So I, I spoke uh, many times in various uh, areas about the the National Uniform Medication Program. And although people will say that there's no uniformity, actually with 90% of the tracks, uh, 90% of the of tracks representing 90% of the handles, excuse me, there is pretty much uniformity as far as medication rules are concerned. And I think we can uh, obtain the same with the use of the crop. The Mid-Atlantic region has basically approved this new use of the crop. So, New York initially approved it, but I'm not sure they're going to institute that. Thanks to Duncan Patterson, chairman of the Delaware Racing Commission. Let's get the perspective now of someone who will have to follow this new rule, at least in Maryland, and that's rider Sheldon Russell. As we record this, he's leading the jockey standings at Laurel Park. He's already been the leading rider there five times, and we're glad to have him with us for the first time here on In the Gate. What was your thought when you first heard about this new whip rule? Um, I think as a jockey, I think we all knew that it was sort of on its way and coming into the jocks room. As you know, August 1st will be the first. So right now, as jockeys here at Laurel Park, are sort of under the watchful eye from our three stewards that work upstairs at Laurel Park. So um, right now, we're sort of, we're using this as sort of like a, that's the right word. Um, we're just using this as we have well, we have three weeks before it comes into work. So right now we're just sort of trying to get used to the six times final total. And we're just working towards that right now. Did riders have a say in the discussion about this rule? As far as I know, yeah, there was a couple of meetings. I'm not sure everyone's very happy about it, but I believe Maryland's going to be the first state that sort of opposed this new rule and comes into effect into Maryland racing. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure we'll be the first track that has this new rule up and running. Did you vote in favor of it, or did you voice an opinion in favor or against it? Um, it's always tough. I feel like racing's been going on for a very long time. You hate to change the rules, but it's sort of out of the riders' hands. I know we have, you know, we're all part of the jockey guild, and I know they have the best interests in us jockeys. So, you know, of course, we don't want to limit it to um, a specific number because every horse is different. But it, it's tough, you know. Um, you know, racing's going through tough times right now, and I don't think it was in our hands. 
Well, let's take it from another standpoint. How important is the whip versus the reins when it comes to steering and or correcting the path the horse is taking? Um, I think you could look at it both ways. Obviously, we use the reins to steer him, but you know, every horse is different. You know, we try to use both to sort of encourage the horse to give us their max cruising speed. I mean, I've been on horses that, you know, sometimes they do need the riding crop to help with steering. You know, sometimes they don't want to help the rider steer. Sometimes the reins aren't really good enough. So it's nice to have the riding crop to be there to be used, if I could say that. But it's, you know, it's going to be something we need to get used to. As a jockey, I don't know if I'm a fan of just saying, you know, six times is enough. And if you go over, then there's going to be fines and suspensions that you have to address or get proposed. So um, it's going to be tough, but if we all have to do it, then we all have to do it. Are you able, in the heat of the moment, to count in your head how many times you've struck a horse when need be? You know, it's something that none of us were really used to doing, but now while you're in a race, you'll count yourself. You'll catch yourself counting how many times you've, you know, used the riding crop, whether it be the last quarter of a mile or the last eighth of a mile, especially as you're coming close to the line, because you don't really want to go over and, you know, you don't want to be facing those penalties or those suspensions. So, yeah, we're very cautious about using it. And, um, you know, it, it almost gets to the situation where the jockeys are a bit hesitant to use it just because you don't want to go over that final number and like I said I I know we haven't got to August 1st so it's not in the works just yet but right now we're using this as a grace period so you know these next three weeks we definitely need to lower our final numbers in using the running crop and it's something that we need to get used to. How sensitive are you and the other riders to the optics of the sport? How the public views the use of the riding crop? It's something that I think the public, especially, you know, the people that bet on the races, if the jockey were to run out of, well, with the new rule, it's going to be the six times. You're going to see a lot of riders just, you know, using maybe the reins or, you know, just trying to keep their horse moving forward. So it's, I think, you're going to find a lot of people that are going to be or wishing that the jockeys could encourage the horse a little bit more. But, I mean, it's out of our hands if we've used it six times already from the quarter pole to the finish line. And what about sensitivity to those who view you should never use a riding crop? Well, that's just it, isn't it? I don't think it's our job to sort of, I mean, we don't use the riding crop to, to harm the horses or to abuse the horses if I must say you know it's just there as a as a crop that we need and like I told you earlier we I've been in situations where it's helped me steer the horse whether the horse was lugging in or trying to gear out with me but for a jockey um, you know it's something that no one's going to be familiar with until we get it up and running and you know it might take a couple of weeks or a month or so but if we can all get on the same page and see how everyone can adapt. How aware are you of the differing rules on the use of the crop when you go from one state to another to ride? Because they're not the same. They're not the same, and that's what I'm hearing. I think it would be a lot easier if everyone was sort of on the same page as regards to the amount we could use the crop. 
and it's going to be a bit difficult knowing that in different states it's going to be different penalties and different amounts of use. So that's something that we'd have to get used to as well. Do you find yourself having to tell yourself, okay, I'm in Maryland today. Okay, I'm in Delaware today. This is the rules. Do you have to say that to yourself? Well, right now we have it in Maryland. So we have riders that ship into Maryland and you'll find the stewards will come down and speak to that rider. Say, for instance, he's coming in from Pennsylvania or Delaware. So our stewards, I feel, do a great job in coming down and addressing those jockeys that come in from different states to make sure that they're aware of our rules that we have intact right now. Do you see a day where all of the industry stakeholders, state governments, track operators, and of course horsemen, including the Jockeys Guild, etc., can come to a consensus on this issue? I mean, you would love to think so, yes. You would, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yes, you would. That would be nice. It'd make everyone's job a lot easier. Well, this is certainly not an issue that's going away, so we appreciate your shedding some light on it, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Barry. Take care. Our thanks once again to Sheldon Russell, Duncan Patterson, and Larry Colmus. When the Me Too movement came to the fore in 2017, the stories came from a number of women I know. I'll admit to being very surprised to hear them share their stories. I had no idea of the baggage that they towed. Now once again with Black Lives Matter, I'm hearing utterances that you think you only get by watching the news. But these again are coming from some people that I know, and it's hard for me to believe they have these views. So for those involved in racing, reading the post by Tom Van Meter, which uses racist language, is a shock. You know that something's damaged, like the hour and minute hands flailing wildly on a badly broken clock. But when you put a face to something, you internalize it more and hopefully are spurred to push for change. Perhaps we'll learn that the race for enlightenment is never over. That finish line will never be in range. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. These reviews really help others find us. And maybe one of those notes should go to the rocket scientists at America's Best Racing, so they include us in their Fan Choice Awards this year for Best Podcast. That would salvage one good thing for 2020 anyway. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope this finds you safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.